following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Okay, enough with the coffee. Enough with the coffee. The bottom line is, so we're in the middle of the flu season, if you haven't noticed. Um, and everyone's people, uh, there's been more deaths than usual. Seems like they messed up on the vaccine, where it's not covering the strain that they that they made it for, something like that. I'm a little, I understood in layman's terms. Covering the wrong stream, the wrong strain. strain. Right, so, so therefore it's uh, more or less ineffective to a large degree. Um, so a lot of questions come up. But they still up. recommend giving it. Yes, because well, someone got to make a living. They got to make a living. <laughs> Pharmaceutical stuff they got to get rid of. They pay for it. <laughs> That's right. Who's they recommend? The doctors or the yeah. manufacturers? The, the news stations. The TV powers station. that be. You know, I was still working Deep at the state. time of this, uh, when this one vaccination, I used to recommend it. No, but this, I didn't know. this year yeah, was, uh, this is yeah, it's a, a, yeah, lost, they make a fresh batch each year, and yeah. this one is, wait a minute, was I working on this one? Where are we now? No, I wasn't, I wasn't working on this one. You haven't worked in a while, but. Yeah. The time is passing. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so there's a few questions we, which we might have addre been addressed in the past. Um, but we're going to do it again. anyway. Um, so, so I put that on the sheet here. A few, few issues, dilemmas that must be addressed during, uh, during this flu outbreak. Not only relevant to flu, obviously, to many other illnesses, um, but we're going to discuss it in the context of the flu. So number, question number one, to what extent should one risk, so this is very relevant for um, medical professionals. Um, the question comes up in unique scenarios, but specifically here. Um, flu is contagious, um, so the question is, do I have to risk, what, what are my obligations as far as risking my own health in order to administer uh, health care to someone else, okay? So that's the question here. To what extent should one risk contracting the disease in order to treat others? Is there a difference between health care providers and others? So yeah. me as a rabbi, I have the same question, because if I meet someone who has a flu, wants to talk to me about his, uh, whatever, his marriage, so it's so I have to risk my own health, and you know, to shake his hand and how? What do you do? Um, but the question is, is there are different obligations for healthcare providers and maybe and rabbis? There so must be a different <coughs> obligation for a healthcare provider if the person who he's seeing has the flu, or if the person is coming in for another problem, and incidentally has the flu. Is there? I mean, would that make a difference? Questions in both cases. The risk is the same. So, should he defer seeing the person who's got the flu who's coming to see him for another problem until the guy's better? So, uh, it's a good question, but I'm not. But as I far mean, as the risk involved, this is a strange question because I mean, if you don't and say that you come to a conclusion, not then there isn't going to be a doctor available to see the people who got flu, and you can't not see point. people well, with flu. It isn't a silly question at all. This was a big <coughs> deal back when AIDS first came on the scene, mm -hmm. there were no treatments, and the question was, was a surgeon obligated yeah. to operate on an AIDS patient, or could he say, you know what, I'm not going to establish that relationship uh, and put myself and my team and my family at risk. It was very common. Hello. I'm sorry, I'm late. 
Jimmy. I mean, I call uh, uh, yeah. she knows. You know, when this, whatever this terrible virus came out, uh, whatever it was, I can't even remember what it was. This last one, not AIDS. The, this one that was really clean. We, I can tell you, at UT, we had a special room, special garb, special. No, gloves. I mean, there was no, there was nothing, there was no option to say you're not going to treat people. I mean, but that is maybe as part of an institution. If you're talking as a yes, private, so it's a valid point. Yes, meaning we, we gotta, we can't say no one's going to treat them. How does it work? That's no. number one. Number two is um, there, there's a difference between. Thank God I never had to put on it. There, there's a difference between the the communal requirement to take care of people and an individual's requirement Correct. to take care of people. That's what you're saying, yeah. Right. Yes, mm. and also we are, we are not discussing it from the, the question halakhically, what are my obligations, meaning according to the Torah. So we're so we're that's talking about it halakhically yes, now. Yes, that's my job. Okay, so um, that's question number one. Question number two is, um, unfortunately, as we know, people many times do get the flu or other contagious diseases, and then you know they're continuing to go to work, or even physicians. I spoke to one physician who told me that he was treating his patients when he had the flu. Okay, so so how does that uh, is that a problem? And if I'm aware of it, <coughs> should I be notifying uh, whoever it is? If it's a kid going to school, should I be notifying the school about it? Um, should I be telling people who might come in contact with this person and get the disease? Is it my obligation as a fellow citizen to? report him to the authorities, so to speak. Okay, if the guy's coming to Minion and, and he's serving breakfast and they have the flu, then he's going to call a shoulder. That's stupid. stupid, but people are stupid, as we know. So the question is, well, what are my obligations? That's question. When the doctor's got flu, does he go to work? Mm. That's my question. That was my original question. E even the others, if you know, you've got the flu and you're... In These a, are real things that we saw. Where you can transmit it to a lot of others. We only talk about real things. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's true too. Uh, everyone knows my brother was very ill for years in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I used to be up there. I had to put on a gown and a mask. Mm -hmm. da -da -da. Yeah. So I wouldn't catch diseases and I wouldn't spread them. I used to see people come in there that were the, with the hospital or whatever. They didn't even do the little spritz on the hands when they went to see Jerry. And I looked. I said, wait a minute, are they immune to everything? Do they not carry diseases? And every time he was released from a hospital to go to a, to build up muscles or whatever, yeah. he'd get an infection again and go back to go the back hospital. To, right. Two, almost three years of back and forth. Mm. Yeah, so care it's, a, it's of, clearly uh, a problem. Infection. It sounds like, it sounds like the, the protection was for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's both. And it's they both. were just ignorant of it. Mm. They had to see another patient, so that's five mm. seconds out of their lives through a sterilization of the hands or whatever. Right. So that's good. question B. No problem. Question B is, so Shimon notices that Reuven is ignoring uh, the recommendation and, and not uh, staying at home and going about business as usual. Does Shimon have an obligation to inform the, the places, sorry for the typo there, that Reuven is frequenting? Okay, to let them know. So again, if he's uh, coming to shul, if he's, should people be aware and should we make people aware that this person has a contagious disease in order to prevent further spread of the disease? And is that our obligation? Question number three. Um, this is obviously a bigger, a broader question when it comes to um, today with inoculation. Is it ethical for government or other organization to force inoculation on the people in order to prevent the spread of disease? 
So, and this is, is relevant for the flu shot also at some point when it gets to pandemic levels. So can we f say people have to take the flu shot? Um, I know in, in the medical profession, I think you are obligated in many hospitals. I don't know if it's not a law, but many employers will make their um, employees, medical professionals, take the flu shot um, in order to prevent the spread. Can they? Can they? Can employers, employers. Uh, well, a private company can basically have any rules they want, and it's not the government forcing them, so is there a business they can do? They can have the right to be volunteers. It's the golden rule. Force them? How does it work? What happens if you say, I don't take an accolade? It's the golden rule. He who has the gold rule. In schools, not flu, but with the measles and things like that, the Seventh-day Adventists, they tell them don't come to school or something like that. Oh, by the way, not to scare you off, but I have a pre-chicken pox right now. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. Can you move At your age, it's shingles, not chicken pox. Oh, God forbid. Is it ethical? No, you Okay, let's not get off track. Is it ethical for a school or synagogue to ban those who are not inoculated from attending classes, services when those who refuse inoculation do so on grounds that they are concerned about the side effect? So if a guy we know has the flu and he comes to shore, can we tell him, can you please get behind the make a pizza for him? Separate mechitza, get or you know, just that something that we should be doing as communities, as rabbis, as medical professionals. Anybody? Oh, I agree. The person himself should know not to be. No, we're not talking. The person knows. No issue. Yeah. Obviously, it wouldn't be a question if the person well, would know. Clearly, they don't. There's a variation in our where it relates to secondhand smoke, where people, yeah. you know, people get bent out of shape about secondhand smoke that. There's no immediate danger uh, yeah. to the person, but there may be long-term danger to the non-smoker. Same thing here. This person may say, I don't care if I get the flu. But mm. you say, but I care if I get the flu from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what do you mean? Mm. That's not going to help. That brings in care. the whole issue of herd immunity exactly. and is it okay to force an individual to contribute to herd immunity. Right. Right. Mm. Okay, so, uh, so um, number four. This is a different actual question, which what happens as, as is now, from what I'm hearing, Tamiflu, a very low on Tamiflu. What does one do if there are limited supplies of medications or healthcare, provi or healthcare providers to treat everyone? So meaning that's a question of, pri of priorities and who gets it first. So when you have, it's not relevant with the flu shot because most people aren't taking the flu shot. But it is relevant this year with Tamiflu. They are running out of Tamiflu in many places. In IV fluid bags. Because of flu? Puerto Rico. I didn't hear Hurricane yeah. Puerto Rico. IV fluid bags. And this is a real issue in the course of my medical career. We've had shortages of flu shots, tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis shots, Zostavax. Various times have been shortage of all these different vaccines. Well, the, the no, but the flu one is more acute. The flu is acute, but there have definitely been shortage of flu shots. Right, so then it becomes the issue of, uh, you know, how does that work? Who gets it first? And Yosef you told me your rabbi comes first. Mm. Right, of he course. It's <laughs> obvious, and it doesn't need to be <laughs> said. It doesn't need to be <laughs> <No> said. <rabbi. laughs> seriously um, speaking, the, 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 the providers should come first. That is seriously speaking, <laughs> um, so the the point is the the right. So that's an obvious question, and there's a few more questions I didn't put on here, but maybe we'll get to them. So let's let's begin with number one. Um, 
the let's start with the, the first question, which is something we've discussed here in the past, relevant to many other topics. So it's actually number two on the sheet there, Roman numerals. Um, and uh, the, the the issue is how much risk as a not limited to health. This question is not only for healthcare providers; it's in general. How much risk does one need to take to save some to help someone else medically? Okay, so we're going to begin with the this, the first thing is it's a verse which I didn't put on the on the sheet. There's a, a explicit verse in the Torah. It's coming up in Parashat Kedoshim in Leviticus where it says Lo Adam Once not, shall not stand idly by um, when your brother's blood is being shed. And that's one of the key sources that the Talmud learns from there as to the obligation we have to rescue. Um, as we mentioned many times, Western society has no such obligation. There's no obligation, um, even unless you went to medical school and they're your patient, contracted patient, you have no obligation that, to help save That's true of the U.S. In France, you have, have no an obligation. obligation. Yeah, that's why we don't live in France. Mm. Um, one of the Napoleonic reasons. Napoleonic law. So, but but the point is, so there is in Western society, right? If you're driving to work, you see a car accident, you see someone uh, drowning in the bayou, you could just smile to them and wave and and can and tell them you're late for your meeting, and you can go to work. In Jewish law, in Torah law, the Torah says explicitly it is an obligation. It's a matter of fact, if you don't stop and help save someone's life that you could have helped, that's um, there is you violated a negative commandment of do not stand idly by. Yeah. It's actually a negative commandment. So, so uh, now in Talmudic law, is, is it a Jewish person that's suffering that you have to help, or do you have to help anybody? anybody. Um, we won't go there today. Well, that's a different type of beyond Sorry. the scope of this discussion. Yeah, where, did, where did you say it's not an obligation to do that? What? Where did you say it's not an obligation? American law or what? American law, Western law, yes. In most countries. He okay, says in France, the first time I'm hearing, in France, there is an obligation. Um, what about tell if an enemy is suffering? doesn't make a difference. Enemy, friend, we help all people. Or a donkey. Um, donkey, enemies, donkey. I mean, if he's a terrorist, you should shoot him. Um, that's something else. I'm not talking about that. Um, okay, so, so the bottom line is, so there's an obligation to help someone. The question is, um, there is, as in any mitzvah, usually, we don't, not usually, we, we're not, we don't risk our lives to the performance of a mitzvah. Right? That's understood from other places. Other verses in the Torah, Torah says, v'chaybehem. We're not going to go into it in great detail because we've done this many times. So the Torah says you shall live by the mitzvot. Okay, there's another verse not even in a Leviticus. Risk. So we'll talk about we'll get there. Yeah. But the, the pasuk says v'chaybem. You have to live by the commandments. Um, the, of course, the simple interpretation is you should do the commandments, live your life by the commandments. But the Talmud extrapolates from that that there actually is one of the 613 commandments is to live, and therefore, if any one of the 613 mitzvot in any way endangers your life, um, then you are not allowed to perform that mitzvah. Okay, so for example, uh, if you're, as we say many times, your doctor tells you you need to eat a double Mac, double cheeseburger, <laughs> double Big Mac, cheeseburger, one whatever, things. one of those things. Bacon cheeseburger. Bacon oh, cheeseburger, onion kipper. Um, <laughs> so that's a proximate violation, and you have to drive together. It's a proximate vi seven violations. Right, there are seven biblical violations if you eat that on Yom Kippur. But if your doctor tells you you need to eat that, you're obligated. It becomes now a mitzvah to eat the double bacon cheese on Yom Kippur. Um, it becomes a mitzvah to eat it. Okay? Like I always say, if you can find me that doctor, give me his, his <laughs> number. You still wouldn't eat it. <laughs> no, true. You have to eat it. It's a mitzvah. But it's obligatory to eat it if your doctor tells you to eat it. 
Okay, so so why? Because again, based on the on the Pasik Vachaibahim, it tells you you have to live by the mitzvot. So if Yom Kippur is getting in the way of your life and the doctor says you need to eat this, then you have to eat that. Now it becomes a mitzvah of Vachaibahim to eat it. Okay, so now but the question so so you're not allowed to risk your life for a mitzvah. Okay? Or you're not allowed to risk your life for a mitzvah. The question here is, is this mitzvah different? Okay, um, the mitzvah of Lotam Radam Because the Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin here discusses the source for this mitzvah. So it brings actually two, to another verse. The, no, the other verse for the obligation to um, to rescue is, it says, there's another verse in Deuteronomy which says, Vashivosa lo. It says, you shall return it to him. It's, of course, again, taken out of context. The, Versus talking about returning a lost object. If you find, uh, we don't, uh, Judaism doesn't believe in finders keepers. You've got to return a lost object if you find it. And the Torah says you have to return it to him, um, whatever you find, whether it's sheep, a wallet, or his wife, whatever it is. Um, so you, you, the, the Talmud extrapolates from that that it's, if you have to return someone's physical. Um, uh, monetary belongings. Surely, if you can return their life to them, your, their their health, you have to return that to them too. That's the other source in the Talmud. Okay, mm. and then the Talmud goes through. Why do we need two sources? What's one? What's why do we need one? Usually, if we have one pasuk. That's enough. Why do we have two verses to tell us the same obligation to help someone uh, return their health to them? So the Talmud says um, that it's to tell you, to teach you that you even have to pay someone. That means normally a mitzvah, if I can't do the mitzvah myself, I don't have to hire someone to do the mitzvah for me. I don't have to, but in health, when it comes to this mitzvah of rescue, so let's say you don't know how to swim, and you're by the bayon, there's a guy, lifeguard walking by, he says, okay, if you pay me uh, 30 bucks, I'll go jump in and save the guy. So you have to lay out the money and actually pay the guy. Mm-hmm. You have to lay out money for this mitzvah, as opposed to other mitzvot, where you don't necessarily have to hire someone to do it, mm-hmm. if you can't afford it. Okay, so that's what Talmud says. So, so the question, there are many commentaries in the start. I quoted here. Um, if you look at 2, or in Roman numeral 2, number 1, it says, must one risk his own life, at least to some degree of risk, to save someone else's life? So, uh, so, so the, the question really is, it's a, it's a little deeper, the commentary discuss here, that the fact that the, this mitzvah is different, the Talmud saying you have to lay out money, you have to hire someone even to save someone, so maybe... Here, you do have to risk your life to some extent, even to save someone. So, for normally, of course, again, the normative thinking is it's no different than any other mitzvah. You're not allowed to risk your life. Not only that, there's a response from the Ridvaz, um, who was a, a later authority, around 1600s, who was posed this question about, a uh, long-winded question about someone giving up a limb to save someone else's life. They would have to lose a limb. And he says, not only is it not... Um, is not okay. He says, if you do that, he calls him what he calls, uh, what his language is, you're a chassid shoteh, you're a pious fool. Someone, a you pious what? chassid, chassid is like chassid, yeah. those days it wasn't chassid, it means, chassid means a pious person, um, shoteh, idiot, fool. you're a pious fool, meaning, uh, th- that's a term actually from the Talmud, the Talmud discusses it in any case of rescue, Talmud says, uh, you know, a guy, uh, have a very, from guy is walking by, a woman's drowning, he says, uh, can't save her because you well, you know, I mean, I have to, I can't touch a woman. It's prohibited to touch a woman. Right. So the Talmud says that person is, Talmud calls that person a chassid shoteh. He's a pious fool. So it's piety is very nice, but mm-hmm. not when it comes to saving lives. Okay, so, so the same thing, the, the Ridva says that if you risk your own life to save someone else's life, not only is it, is it not permitted, but you're an idiot. 
He replies, well, don't be, f- you know, don't be too from. It's never good to be too from. Okay, that's the lesson. Okay, so so it would seem from there, risking one's life, and it does, there's no, we don't see any difference between medical professionals or not, um, putting oneself in a situation where there is a risk to their own life, it's a contagious disease, to treat someone else seems to be, would seem to be prohibited. Okay, that would, that's what it would seem. But Prohibited. That's what it would seem on the surface. But, of course, it's simple. Nothing's ever so simple. Do define risk? Yeah, right. Every time you walk into so a patient with an undiag- unknown diagnosis, you take a point, yeah. yeah. So, well, we want to, f- I don't think we can ever really define it completely, but we can discuss different levels of risk. So, that is important. Um, so, we'll get to it. We'll get Okay, so now there is. It's, it's uh, the wrong way around. If, if you see somebody, a woman drowning, and you don't want to touch her because you're not allowed to touch her, and you don't do it, then you're a pious fool. Yeah, that's what yeah. Um, uh, you you should, you should, you should yeah, go and yeah, save her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you don't want to be pious. That, that's what it's saying. But that is pious. The pious is to save her, not to not save her. That's the point. But you're, Wait you're a minute. So if you save her, are you pious, or you don't yes. save her, are you pious? You're in Sadiq if you save her. Yes, if you save her, you're very pious. If you don't save her, you're a pious fool. You're an idiot. Right. That's a nice way of saying you're an idiot. From many people many times dress up their idiocy in religions. This is the problem we have in Judaism and other religions too. Because don't, the, being overly pious and using your piety to uh, wiggle out of things is not a good thing. Um, like people who break their leg in Shabbos and won't get in the ambulance because I can't exactly. ride our Shabbos. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they're crazy. Meaning they're, 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 people don't eat on your kippur and they're diabetic, even though the doctor told them to eat. So many, many sayings, so of course you treat somebody, even though there's a risk to you. Not to not treat uh, no. Them. That's what we're debating. Oh, that's the question on the table. You're not saying... Yeah, we're, there's we're no risk, obviously, you have to check. No risk, it's an obligatory. No, that's, that's the no question problem. is, I'm Black saying on the contrary, I'm saying if there is a risk, then you're also you normally, the Ridva says, if there's a risk... No, let's say this guy had a question of, the king had arrested another fellow Jew, and he said he's going to kill this guy unless you cut off, unless this guy allows us to cut off his arm. The other guy, another guy. So that was the question posed. Can, should he lose a limb to save this fellow's life? And that's what the Ritva said. He's a pious fool if he does that. If he what? If he if cuts he, off his arm? Yes, to save someone else's life. Because cutting your arm in those days surely was a risk to your life. Um, He's a uh, pious fool. Yes. Mm-hmm. If he would cut his arm. Pious fool? Yeah. He's a pious fool for cutting off his arm. Right. To save somebody's life. There's no guarantee after he cut off. Is your life come first? So. Would be safe. So that's what oh, you said. Well, that's no, a that's the opposite. No, the assumption is he wouldn't be trusted. It's the opposite to this. No, no, no. That's why I'm saying it's the opposite. There's two cases of jumping in the water. No, there's two cases. One second, it's confusing. Sorry, I confused you. There's two cases of jumping in the water. Because uh, you know how to touch a woman who's so not married. You're so a that's a pious fool. If someone's drowning, uh, you're obligated to jump in and save him if you know how to swim. But let's say the guy weighs uh, 400 pounds and he's going to bring it down with him. So then if you jump in, you're a pious fool. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what, so there's two cases of pious fool jumping in. One an opposite. Exactly, we're there's an opposite. We're, also, right. we're looking out for the intermediary cases where it's not clear. 
Well, we were looking at yes. Well, um, no. Even if there's well, yeah, maybe you can define it that way. But it's also a question of. First of all, do medical professionals have a different obligation? Uh, it sounds like there's room for a third category in that. Yeah. If, what you're talking about? If you didn't jump into the water to save yourself from touching the woman, you're saving yourself, then you're a pious fool. No, no, no. Yes. 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 Right. If you did cut off your arm, but then you're a which you didn't save yourself, you're a pious fool. Right. Right. They're opposites. Yes. yes, Rabbi. Yes. That's what correct. we just got. Sorry. Tell them it's correct. What's wrong? Tell them. You're not cutting off your arm to save yourself. No, you're cutting off, you're your, cutting arm off your arm to save somebody else. Another life. person. Right. And you're a fool to cut off your own arm to save somebody another else. Person. Right. What was that? Exactly. And the reason you're not going into to, to, to touch the woman is is because you're saving yourself because you're saving adhering yourself. to a mitzvah. You think you're saving yourself. You think you're right. Yeah. One way of looking at it one's is, physical, is that one's saving uh, life, Kuwak Nefesh, trumps virtually all the other six, 611 other mitzvot, except yes. not at expense of your own. Exactly. But but you, uh, wait a minute. Is that physical? Is that physical? You're cutting off your arm. Yeah. Yeah. It's only physical. As opposed to the other one was spiritual. It's a good point. So it's all valid points. Yeah, but they're all opposites. Yes, yes. So there's a lot of pious fools at the bottom line. Um, um, so are we saying all doctors are pious fools? No, they're pious. Well, some may be, depending on what they do. That's what we're trying yes, to establish. Yes, that's, that's the question. Okay, so um, where were we? Okay, so now there are opinions, by the way, so it's not so simple. There is a Talmud Yushalmi that I quote here, number in Roman numeral number two. Or I don't know if that's a Roman numeral, sorry. Two eyes, number two. Um, it says like this, the Talmud Yushalmi says... Um, it says, uh, quotes a story. Rabimi was captured by a group of bandits. Rabbi Yonasan, some others say Rabbi Yochanan, um, pre said, prepare the burial shrouds. Because this guy's gone, he's, you know, they kidnapped him, he's, uh, ISIS ain't coming home. Rishlakas responded, if they want Rabimi, they're going to have to kill me first. And the, and the commentaries explained that he was ready to go and fight them and, and be a mercenary to save this other person's life. So the Talmud Yushalmi would seem to say, at least according to Reish Lakish, that there, he was ready to risk his life to save someone else's life. Mm -hmm. That would be, that's what it would seem on the surface. And this is quoted, the Agos Maimonis, who is a commentary, one of the early commentators on the Rambam and Maimonides, quotes this Yushalmi. Um, he says, we see that you sh one should place himself in, and these are key words, safek sakana. Safek means, as you said, it's not, if you're for sure going to die, that would actually be foolish. Obviously, if I know for sure, by going to rescue someone else, I'm going to die, then that's, that is foolish. Like We're saying, but something like on a grenade to protect his buddies. Uh, we'll get there. Mm. That, is, that is true, and we discussed that many times. Meaning save someone else from certain death. Exactly, meaning what is another difference of between Western culture and Jewish, and Jewish traditional um, philosophy is you're not a hero, meaning if you kill yourself to save someone else in Western culture, in, America, in our country, you're a hero. Wow, it's amazing. In Judaism, you're not a hero. Again, you're a fool. You don't kill yourself Even to save someone else. So the, the, the only exception is the military might be different is because the fact of you have um, you know, a question of morale and how yeah, that works. Well, but I'm saying again, general, but general surely to kill yourself, meaning meaning 
the only thing that seems to be permitted, even according to this opinion, is safek sakan. What's it mean? Safek means yeah. a doubt. Doubt. Maybe I'll die. Maybe I'm maybe risking die, my life. Right. But if I'm for sure going to die, if there's no question. It's not a safek. What we call a vadai. Vadai means it's surely going to happen. Then mm -hmm. you're not a hero. You then you're an idiot. We don't. You don't kill yourself to say someone else. You know what? Our family, <laughs> your wife so, might be different. Your so mother can, a, can a Jew be a Secret Service agent? Oh, so that's why we say that's mm. why. Besides that, there's not, you know, usually five point. foot five. And, but the, yes, it's not a job for a nice Jewish boy to take the bullet for the president. Again, <laughs> unless, but this stuff is unless anyone sure. president is. But but the 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 again that might be considered a military action. So military might have an exception to this rule. Um, because you're always, anytime you're in the military, that's you're, you're in essence, you're, you're signing up to put your life at risk. So mm -hmm. clearly when the Torah says a mitzvah, we have a mitzvah to fight wars, which we're not pacifists, we do fight wars, so, um, that mitzvah entails danger to your life. So it's clearly an exception to the rule of a chaybam, because that, obviously any war means danger to life. So we're arguing about... So the question is, is I just want to point, so the question yeah. is, so uh, Secret Service might be considered... So a is a fireman or a policeman? That's a good point, or a doctor, that's what's on the table. Yeah. So we're arguing about who the shroud is for. No, no, <laughs> the first opinion said, prepare the shrouds for the guy who's kidnapped. Right. He's saying, no, what are you, what are you giving up? Let's go, go let's go fight. Uh, Let's go fight. So here, here, so he uh, had, had a good background yes, in this. Though, yes, he was a pirate. He was a what former pirate himself. What they use for shroud? Do they use Tachrichin in the Talmud? Uh, you don't have it in front of me. No, um, I don't, it's, I don't think so, because I think Tachrichin might be Hebrew. Uh -huh. This is Aramaic. So I'm, actually, you know what? I'm not sure. Sorry, sorry, I don't know, but good question. I, I don't know. No, it wasn't. You know what? It is. I, 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 I think you're do right. have a copy here. Sorry. Secret Service, you, you are going to take the bullet as, the, as your job. That means you are going to die. You're not a I think it says Sadinin, which Sakana. sheets. Okay. Let me look to make sure. Just to get our Hebrew, it's good. Well, then you wear a bulletproof vest, I suppose. <laughs> if we start getting the percentages, the number of secret Sadino. service agents. Which means to wrap. The yeah, verb, yachrich, the use of yeah, means wrapping. Right. Yeah, so, yachrich hamet besadino, to wrap the right. so, so, here's a real world case. There's this guy, Rick Hodes, that some of you may know of. Yeah, he spoke he here. Is, yeah, he's used. a nice Jewish boy. 30 years ago, he goes to Ethiopia and he starts treating uh, everybody in Ethiopia, particularly kids affected with tuberculosis, particularly tuberculosis of the spine, where they wind up with spines that look like this. and he raises money, sends the kids all around the world, blah, 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 blah. In the process of doing that, he also exposes himself to tuberculosis. He has, he puts on tefillin every morning, but has no Jewish life. Never, he tells me his biggest dream is to get married. Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay. Okay. He was just here, spoke at Beth Yishore, he'd like to get married, but no one, he's adopted five of these kids, has 15 of them living in his house. For some reason, no Jewish impediment to wants to come in with me. I can't understand that. So, is he a pious fool or is he a hero? So again, yeah, so the doctor. Let's see. Let's see. To what be answered later is what he's saying. Okay, I'm just throwing. Yeah. It's a real world case. Yes. I don't know what to make of the guy. Okay, so again, so this Yushalmi would seem the story in Yushalmi would seem to imply, and the Hagos Maimonides does money. quote it um, as to say, you see from here that Rish Lakish's opinion, or even the Yushalmi's opinion, was. Talmud Yushalmi, which is the Jerusalem Talmud, and we have the Babylonian Talmud, Jerusalem Talmud, seems to be of the opinion that you do put your life at risk, place yourself at risk to save someone else's life. 
from certain death. So again, this is always a concept in halacha. This is in uh, principle in halacha is you, we have a suffix versus vada. That means what we're allowing you is to place your life in potential risk against this guy is surely going to die. If he was kidnapped by ISIS, he's, he's going to die. He's not coming home. So, no, it's meaning if that guy's life is also suffix, then maybe you, I don't know if you should place your, yourself in a doubtful question of endangering your life. So what we're allowing here is when we have, we have what's called a suffix versus vade. Suffix means a doubtful situation. So your life is in doubt. His life is surely, surely gone. gone. So you're allowed to place your life in doubt in order to save someone who's surely going to die. Okay, but if you're surely going to die, or if he's maybe, or is doubtful if he's going to die, then I don't know if that applies. That's number one. Um, so now the, now how do we rule? Preparing the burial shroud sounds like a little bit more than just possibility. No, that's the point. Prepare the burial shrouds for that. It, for the burial the shrouds are, are for the victim, and not for the rescuer. Mm. The Rebbe was saying originally. No, 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 no. No, I understand. But also, right, he's, no, he says this guy was kidnapped. He said prepare the burial shrouds, meaning meaning he's a goner. He's gonna die. He's goner. The guy, the guy who was kidnapped is a goner. It's right. ISIS. He's Rish Lager saying no. Why he's saying he's a goner? I'm gone. Let's go. Hmm. Where did you fight? So yeah, it's only it's referring to the victim, to the kid kidnapped. So he's disputing the science, as it were. He's saying, yeah, just because you say he's going to die doesn't mean he's going to die. No, no, no. No, he's saying he's, he's for sure going to die, so we got to go right. in and save him. He's going to rescue him. He's for sure going to die. Without rescue, he's surely going to die. But it could be both. He could say, uh, he could, he's saying, I'm going to go rescue him. But he could also be saying, just because you say he's going to die doesn't mean he's going to die. Mm -hmm. No, but the, no, the but point the, is again, he's saying, let's go fight. Meaning, I, I meaning. For discussion, you have to accept it. Yeah. No, no, meaning the, the assumption is here. He is going to die. That's what the first opinion said. That's it. That's what Yochman said. He's going to die. Forget about it. Nothing we can do. We'll never see him again. Say your goodbyes. Okay, yeah, speak to your lawyer. One now, one says, second. No, I will rescue him. Excuse right. me. If he is or isn't going to die, it doesn't matter. For the purpose of the no, discussion, he he's going to die. It doesn't matter. Right. It does matter. Because he's saying you're only allowed to risk so your life yeah. <laughs> if he's surely going to die. Right. Okay, meaning if he wasn't well, surely, then he wouldn't be. Right. He's going to die. Right. Yeah. right. doesn't so matter what happens. It's a discussion. Yes, yes. Well, but, um, yeah. Okay, so now what do we rule like this, Yushalmi, or not? So the Sorb Yosef Cairo, who is the author of the Shulchan Aruch, has a different commentary he wrote on the tour called the Bet Yosef. Um, and uh, it, not, it's, it was an original halachic writing called the tour. And he wrote a commentary. In that commentary, he does quote this opinion of the Ghost Maimini, as I put down here um, on the bottom of the sheet, Rabbi Yosef Cairo cites the ruling of Agos Maimonides, but does not codify in the Shulchan Aruch. When he wrote his magnum opus, which is the Shulchan Aruch, the, the Code of Jewish Law, he did not include this opinion. So it seemed like he would not, he quotes it in his original commentary, but does not include it. Turn to the second page. So there's a, a Smaz quoted, who is also a commentary on the, on the Shulchan Aruch, on the Code of Jewish Law. He wrote, he, he notes that the reason why it was omitted from the Shulchan Aruch, why did Rabbi Yosef Cairo only quote it in his original commentary, but not when he codified the law, is that most Rishonim, the most, most early authorities, don't assume that one must risk his life to save others from Sakana. Okay, so meaning, and that, that's the next quote also, is another commentary, discusses that this is always an issue when you have two opposing, um, seemingly opposing laws in the Talmud, in the Bavli and the Yushalm. I mean, there are two Talmuds, um, 
as we know, there's the Babli, which is the Babylonian Talmud, and the Yushalmi. So our we, as Ashkenazim, we always rule with the Babli, the Babylonian Talmud. That means if you have a contradiction between the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud, we go with the Babylonian Talmud, for whatever reasons, beyond the scope of this discussion. Okay, so, so, um, so he's saying that the, the Bavli seems very much to imply we don't risk our lives to save others. Okay, there's no mention of this story, there's no mention of anything that you should risk your life. So the Yushalmi has a nice story, he quotes, but at the end of the day, since the Bavli does not mention anything about this, we go with the assumption you'd never risk your life for any mitzvah in the Torah. And that's, that's what he explains, that's the rule. Um, the fact that the Gemara, if you look at number three here, the fact that the Gemara does not present this as a difference implies um, implies that you're not required to risk your life. What's Heshavah Savedah? That's returning a lost object. Returning a lost object, which is the source, the other source for the... Returning a lost Okay. In this case, returning something. So, in contemporary times, Moshe Feinstein also has a response, and that's number four on the sheet here, and he asserts you can't be required to put yourself in danger to save someone else's life. Um, again, we haven't gotten to medical professionals yet, per se, but but in, he's saying in general, you're not required to, to, to put yourself in danger. Number one, he says, Lotamod al do not stand idly by, is just a regular los it's a, it's a negative commandment. Los means a negative commandment, just like any other negative commandment. There's nothing special about it. In the same way, you're not required to endanger yourself to keep Shabbat, or not to eat on Yom Kippur, or any other mitzvah of the Torah, okay? Any other negative commandment you don't endanger your life in order to perform that commandment. Um, or Brit Milah, right, is the same thing, even, a, a, which, by the way, Brit Milah is a, is a mitzvah it's say, it's a positive commandment, but it's karis, it's one of the only few commandments, if you don't get circumcised, only positive, there's only two positive commandments in the Torah, that if you don't do them, if you're, if you're just passive and don't do them, that it's actually karit, which means you, uh, mm. whatever that means, Kabbalistically, you get cut off from the Jewish people, die before you're 50, according to some, so, so it's a pretty serious thing, but you still don't risk your life for circumcision. It means, Unless for example, if, uh, Karim Pesach, the Paschal, um, the, the, for example, if there's a family of hemophiliacs, <laughs> we don't do, the halach is, you don't circumcise the baby. Okay, if they're known hemophiliacs in the family. And he is cut off. No, no, he's not. No, that's what I'm saying. You don't, no, it's a mitzvah. That's what I'm saying. You never no, risk, you don't risk your life. Um, even, even, uh, you, yeah, you, he's not cut off. Always. He still becomes Jewish. He's a Jewish. Everyone's Jewish. Always Jewish. Just we're saying, he, yes, he, the, the so applicability, you you're allowed to violate the law when it comes to risking, when, if there's any risk. And Why he still remains yes, Jewish. Yes, yes, 100%. Also, for example, if uh, <coughs> uh, Billy Rubin count is high, we don't do the circumcision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the practice of medicine, again, doctors can speak to this, you are always dealing with people who are opposing some risk, like people who are not doctors. You walk around the street, you see somebody's cough, everyone goes, you know, backs off, I don't want to get sick. But by definition, if you're a doctor, those you take all those people who are coughing, they're in your office that day. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of risks posed by patients. Crazy people. You don't know what crazy people are really going to do. Oh, Rabbi, I know what crazy people are. You don't know what, someone could have hepatitis C, someone could have AIDS, you know, someone could transfer. So uh, it would be almost impossible to practice medicine without accepting greater risk than your non-medical. So it's, it's an impractical yes. possibility not to... I, I think, There's I think always non-Jewish doctors. There are a few non-Jewish doctors. before that, that certain risks 
needed for your profession or acceptable risk. Mm. Right. A construction guy that right. you know, a window washer on the 80th floor mm -hmm. is taking a certain risk that norm that other people don't take. The Rabbi mentioned military, and, and that's right. required to make your living. And and right. the same would be true of physicians submitting to a somewhat higher risk. Right. But when you know that the risk is exceedingly high in this particular well, you know patient, that's the question. well, it's pretty easy sometimes. Sometimes it, it's a hidden risk. The patient has hepatitis C or AIDS and you're that's operating it. on them, it's a greater risk than... Exactly, and that's what I raised earlier. So one thing. is a very well-known risk and the other is the generic risk of... Exactly. Potentially being Thank exposed. Thank you for stating better than I was. What I was trying to say. Since you brought up breaking law, Rabbi Kim, and that is a mitzvah to say a positive commandment on fathers to circumcise their sons. So it seems pretty cut and dry, so to speak. Mm. But, no pun. Thank you. No pun intended, actually. <laughs> but but we are allowed halachically to delegate that responsibility to mitigate the danger to the baby. So mm -hmm. extrapolating from that. As a society, we have certain commandments, you know, don't stand idly by. Um, it, but we kind of delegate responsibility to mitigate danger to ourselves. We have agents. We hire police. We hire firemen. We hire Secret Service to protect the president, which means they are the agents to accept the risk because they're professional they can mitigate the risk in this case to themselves and arguably police who are trained can mitigate risk to innocent bystanders mm -hmm. and we have lifeguards who can go out into very dangerous water conditions because they're trained and they can mitigate the risk to themselves and arguably more likely to save the person. So I would argue that you know those people have a higher duty because they've accepted the responsibility of the community and certainly the same falls onto onto physicians. Not all only that, but there's that other command of rapo yurape that you must True. must heal. So people who have, who have willingly accepted the duty as agents of the community have a higher risk of K, even if there's there's a chance of safeka uncertainty. Yeah, so we got a very, death, very good they point. They may be helping somebody that it's yeah. not certain that they would die without their help. They still have to help them. So it's a very good point, and we'll get there, and that's where we're headed to a certain extent. But the question is still going to be, the Torah doesn't seem to differentiate. The Torah says, don't risk your life. So how, how, the question is, within the confines of Allah, how are we allowing it? You know, it's true. That's Of course, as a society, we need to have medical care. We need to... If we say no physicians can can put themselves at any risk, they won't. Most people won't be treated, as you're saying. But the question is, how does that work? Within, what do you do with the verse? The verse says you're not allowed to risk your life. In other words, do we are all physicians pious fools? Is that what you're implying? So we need to figure that part out. But what is an unacceptable risk? That's what we're trying to figure out. I think. Or, or no, yes, but but he's pointing out meaning this just because I took a, uh, I decided to go to medical school for eight years and. And take and and take this foolish job. Maybe does that mean I'm allowed to do it? Meaning, yeah, a different think. unacceptable risk for a lay person. There is well, that's the question. Who said? Is there an who unacceptable said? risk for? Should it should it be like that? Is that true? Yeah, <coughs> it's true in, in practical terms, but <coughs> halachically, is that allowed? That's really the question. So you're all answering that. So and all correctly so. So we'll get there. Um, 
physician's the best person to evaluate what his the risk is to him. Well, then they, they take the precautions, whether it's triple gloving it's, it's or spacesuits or whatever. It's not only question in which we didn't address, which, which our, our question is, what about Pikachol? Meaning, me as a rabbi, I have to go visit people in the hospital. Mm-hmm. If the person has an infectious disease, do I not have to visit them? Am I exempt from that law? Well, what about my profession? Meaning, every profession, to a certain extent, there are Some risks. Some risk. Right. So how does that work? Teachers have big risks. Teachers, yes, very big risks, especially in certain schools. Okay, so uh, so so we're in the middle of Ramosha finding Truvayer number four. So he says number one is he's of the opinion. Low time. He's not addressing really physicians here. He's addressing in general. But I don't, I don't remember what the question that was posed. Let me just see. Have it here. Um, I don't have the question here, but, but basically he's saying is that, that to a large extent, first of all, Lotamod is no different than any other negative commandment where you don't have to risk your life just to rescue someone. Number two, he says, nevertheless, because there is Hatzalus and Fashas that means saving of lives, um, it is permissible to endanger oneself in order to save someone else. So there is a level of, certain level of danger that obviously a risk, there's always going to be a risk involved in, in rescue to a certain extent. So he says, this provides with a different perspective on the Yerushalmi, perhaps Rishlakish risked his life out of volunteerism and out of obligation. Mm-hmm. So right. he's saying you're allowed to volunteer, but as far as the obligation, the, the commandment to rescue, of Lotamod, he's saying there's no obligation, no different than any other obligation. We do allow, he says, to some extent, what we call um, a volunteerism. Okay, the question is how does a medical profession work? But, but I'm saying if, if uh, you're going to go beyond your call of duty, we do allow a certain amount of risk in that. Um, this is also, uh, by the way, the, the Chafetz Chaim, and when he codifies this law, he actually, uh, when he's talking about the laws of Shabbat, he discusses this and he mentions that you're not allowed to risk your life to save someone else, but he says, he adds on like a note, I don't have it in front of me, he says, um, don't be too strict in this, in this rule. Whoa. Meaning, you know, yes, you're not allowed to risk your life, but, you know, he says, you might need someone else to rescue you down the line, mm-hmm. so don't be too strict in following this. Well, doesn't that kind <coughs> of your original statement about being a hero? If it's permissible to risk your life, and you do it and you die, are you not a hero in that case? Since you were permitted to do it, and you did it, well, are you not a hero? The, um, Only if you save the other person. The, uh, and it's interesting, in Judaism, there is no concept of hero. Either you're doing the right thing or the wrong. There's no... A hero means, I guess, but you're here going you're beyond. But not obligated. So you're right. not necessarily doing the right or wrong. You're permitted, and it's it's optional. It's a, you're volunteering. You could do it, or you could not do it. You right. volunteer, you die. Are you a so hero? he's saying you we allow a certain amount of risk for the volunteer. But his point is, you're not obligated. That's for sure. Not. There's no obligation to risk your life. If you want to take a certain amount of risk, maybe yes, but not where there's a real risk. He's going to talk. But that gets the heart of being a hero. We admire people. Yeah, but again, a that's risk. a cultural thing. But, was, but I'm not sure a cultural. it's a cultural thing. We, we admire people who take that risk and die in the effort, in part because we'd like to, if we were in that position, we'd like them to come try to save us. Even So, True. I mean, there's something heroic about it, independent of uh, halacha. That it's a natural thing that that person might have risked his life to save me. Uh, there is something heroic about it. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just yeah, saying, no, again, what I'm saying, I don't, I don't know. Sure halacha doesn't address... They're the all heroes. Of hero, of heroic. <coughs> doesn't really exist. I mean, hey, we shouldn't use the word hero. Maybe we should use the word tzaddik. Yeah, okay. Maybe we would look at it differently. Well, are there tzaddik? I'll just
if a doctor gets sick of disease, usually we don't consider him a hero. No, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> consider him an idiot. Right. <laughs> Probably most um, you fellow should have physicians. Known better. Right, exactly. What kind of idiot? Misjudging risk. Yeah. You're a hero for misjudging risk. Exactly. And what happens if you are a mother and you, you have to take a big risk for your child? Right, so we said, so family might be different. Ishto, there's a concept that Talmud talks about, Ishto Kagufo, to save your wife, your wife and you are considered one life. So just like I can risk myself to save my own life, I also couldn't risk myself to save my wife's life because um, it says each took off. You can say it's one unit. Children, children is not is not as simple as wife. Wife right, right. takes precedence. Do, as a mother, you do risk. You do life people do a lot of things? That doesn't mean we're, not, we're, we're again. So there is a concept of a family unit, which is not uh, for today. So, um, yeah. Which does allow, uh, so does allow. Hospital, takes not your mother-in-law, but yes. because <laughs> if for anything more than permissible, you might be encouraging a lot of foolish attempts mm -hmm. to take risk. Right. You know, if the Talmud did not, in general, say, look, it's not a good thing to go risk your life to save someone's life. If they took another course, yes, you should risk your life. You might be creating a whole culture where people are taking foolish risk because they want to be following the Talmud. So it seemed teleologically they would want to say, don't do it as a general rule, but sometimes you, know, you got to do it. It's my life. <laughs> okay. Um, so in general, by the way, so there is, it's interesting, as um, there is a lot of, res I don't know, recent response, but uh, as we know, in, in uh, Eastern Europe, there was uh, black plagues and cholera outbreaks, um, many Jewish communities in the 16, 1700s, 1800s, I don't know exactly when. Um, so, so there is a lot of um, response written during that time of what can be done as far as allowing to shoes. We, I think we discussed this at one point, so I just quoted some of them here. Um, so they talk about, uh, it says, Reb Chaim Salavich, who is the, the, the Reb Chaim, um, he was of the Salavichic dynasty and there was a cholera outbreak in his time this is in the late 1800s he ruled in accordance with Hagos Maminus and he told physicians at the time um, that if you're healthy you, you, or not just physicians even the lay people that he says we go you you go with Hagos Maminus and if people are faint and you have to help them whatever the case is you risk even though there's a risk in contracting disease by helping these people who have cholera you have to go ahead and do it he seemed to be going in that stance. As a, but he is known for his strictness, actually, in halacha, very uh, strict. But they once asked him, he was very lenient about when it comes to life. That's what they once asked him, he allowed someone to do something on Shabbat for health. And he, so he said, how could you be so lenient in your ruling? So he said, listen, I'm not, I'm lenient on Shabbat, but I'm very strict in the law of Achaibah, of saving life, of Lotama. So well, that's also a mitzvah. There's, there's, some, you have conflicting mitzvahs, you have Shabbat, and you have uh, saving a life. So he says, um, it could be, uh, you're right, I'm leaning Shabbat, but in this case I'm being very strict in the law of the obligation to rescue. So it's the same thing here. He ruled like that opinion of, like we saying, the Yushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, which says you obligate to risk your life to save someone else's life. Um, so I just put it on the side here, it's interesting, the word uh, cholera is actually uh, in Hebrew, cholera. I don't know if it's actually a... Kangaroo. Kangaroo. What's that? Okay. What language? Russ has lost it. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. 
Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Okay, Rabbi Kivager also, um, they, he uh, was one of the greatest scholars of his time, that time in Europe, okay. wrote a letter detailing the necessary steps that should be taken during cholera outbreak. One of the things he recommends is hiring people who are trained in treating patients to be on call to treat those with cholera. So again, there, that becomes an issue of they're specially trained, and as you mentioned, someone mentioned before, meaning as a medical professional, you are trained in how to treat a contagious patient. I hope you are, to some extent, the medical school, they teach you that, without contracting the disease. So you have to, you, as a professional, you know to take the necessary precautions as a layperson might not know, whatever that is, whether it's wearing gloves, mask, or not, you know, not touching the fluids, making sure to get rid of whatever necessary precautions are taken. The assumption is you have people specially trained, as someone mentioned before, you have lifeguards, and, and they are trained to work in situations, and there's, they're mitigating the risk to themselves through their training also, the fact that they're trained as opposed to some other guy is just going to step up to save the person who might not know um, all the, the principles of contagious disease. <coughs> I'm assuming is that taught in medical schools? Or everyone's looking like I'm crazy. Not really. I'm saying is that taught? It is? It's part of the, you know, the oath you take. No, but I'm talking about as far as teaching medical professionals how to be safe in they're, environments they're taught of contagion. Yeah. How well? Yeah, infectious disease prevention starts with preventing infectious right. disease from spreading to you. And so I'm saying that is taught. Yeah. It is taught. Yes. Huh? <laughs> Depending on which year you went to, which medical school you went. <laughs> no, your mind's working. I can see it already. Okay, so um, there's a difference between being taught and being taught. Taught. No. <laughs> this would be taught something and, and learning something. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I got a question, sort of just curious. Quick, quick. I'm uh, running out of time. Do, we've got a lot of doctors here. Do they think they've actually gotten less contagious diseases than the average person? They've all been hmm. dealing with. Do doctors more. get less? Fewer? Yes. More. <laughs> Oh. I kind of like school way. teachers, certainly in the beginning, school teachers, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. especially ones that teach, you know, grade school. They, the first yeah. year or two, they're sick with everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so every it's virus that comes in. Yes, I know teachers. Here, so here's an apocryphal story. Pediatrician years ago, gets sick. How long is the story? Yeah. I got sicker in hell, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. Hmm. Uh, I started on a Monday. I was really sick. I kept working, of course, being an idiot, but. Thursday, they announced this flu started in Mexico. And a third of my patients were Mexican. <laughs> I obviously got it from one of them. And yeah, I had no idea. But you're exposed and you don't even know it. So, or take a surgeon like Ed. Mm. Um, you do operate on people before you knew about uh, HIV or even mm. hepatitis C, and you cut yourself or stab yourself with a needle and you get with abscesses. HIV. What? Or with abscesses. Or the abscesses right there all the time. So, I mean, the answer to your question is that the nurses get sicker. <laughs> it's tough for us mortals up here on Mount Olympus. Mm -hmm. I was just curious because I know. Yes, it's a very good point. So, so I've taught. He just thinks he's God. <laughs> so I'll just finish the, these quotes. So, so then, so there's another quote here from Shmuel Vazner, who actually just died recently, um, contemporary. 
he says, see this, uh, sees this as proof that healthcare professionals, he brings this Rabbi Kivager, this letter from Rabbi Kivager, as proof that prof healthcare professionals may not abandon their positions during an outbreak uh, out of concern that he's going to contract the contact disease. So that's not a reason, um, he says, uh, a healthcare professional, you see Rabbi Kivager saying, if you're trained and this is your job, you got to do it. There's no uh, leniency to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm risking my life and therefore I can't do it. So he rules very clearly that doctors um, cannot abandon um, and mm -hmm. have to yeah. give medical care even right. in cases like that. Same like firemen, cops, soldiers, anybody else. You can't mm -hmm. uh, well, we'll, get, we'll get this again. What's the reason? We need but to understand the logic behind it. Once you know that roof is ready to collapse, you still don't go in there foolishly. Yeah. Or shouldn't. Um, I'll just, I'll just read it to you in the original. It's much better than the original. He says like this. His book was known as the Shevet Alevi. He says, Binyan Chovas Harofi. The question posed to him, this is a response book. Um, he says, as far as the obligation of a physician, <coughs> is there an obligation to a physician with papel bichola to treat a patient with a contagious disease, that's a danger to life, and especially during times of, of uh, epidemic. epidemic. Or, and, and this is something which I don't have on the sheet here, but Ramad does mention there's an obligation for the layperson if there's an epidemic in the city to leave the city. Part of the obligation is to be healthy for everyone in general. So, meaning the Ramah says, and especially in those as we didn't have inoculations, if there's an epidemic in your city, you have an obligation to, to leave in general, not healthcare professionals. But he's saying, so the question posed to him was, are physicians included in that halacha that they should also pack their bags and leave when there's an epidemic? Um, so he answers, the truth is, he says, Pshutim Sheldvarim, the obvious answer is the obvious words are it's prohibited for physicians that can help patients to, to run away and to leave their, their duties they have to watch themselves in a preventative way as whatever way possible um, in order not to catch this contagion um, in whatever that, in whatever form that may be, Riley, he says, "What's my proof is mitakanas Rebekivager." This this letter, um, where Rebekivager laid out in the times of cholera of of how to what to do. Mishas magefas a cholera beir posen, the city of Posen in Europe, which was the city where Rebekivager lived. Shekatuf, he writes over there. Shanashim sheicholim lishamesh acholim, people who have the ability to treat these patients. These contagious patients of cholera, you both in kavua becheder hala ha latzara. No, I don't know what that means, but they have to be in this. They're in a what's it called? A quarantine room, quarantine, um, and they have to be there in that quarantine with them. In that quarantine, the the, the people who can treat them. Kasef Shalman he writes there. Rabbi Vega shu schar hanashemela. This is their reward. Chen kasef sham sheyikru miad lerofe. You should call the doctor immediately, um, and he tells you where it's printed, this letter. Um, and he says, and, and don't think, he puts in parentheses in this response, and don't think that referring to only non-Jewish doctors that they call. He says, it's Jewish doctors too. <laughs> he says in the parentheses, Vayne Mashmali, he says, don't, it doesn't seem to me, she'd dab a document, Hashim HaShalob Israel, 
after saying this, the Rabbi Kivag was writing his letter for, for professionals who are not Jewish. Um, for Jewish professionals too, don't try to wiggle out of it. And the last quote I have here is from um, Dr. Abraham, who's a contemporary um, writing in, in a book called Nishmat Avram. So I'll read it to you again in the Hebrew here, in the original. He says like this. Um, he says, it's, it's, I don't know, I'm not sure of the answer. Why is a physician or a chot or a nurse or any other medical professional who's treating an uh, ill patient? Why are they obligated to treat this type of patient? Um, he says, in parentheses, he says, after they took all preventative measures, to protect themselves from this contagious disease. When they're in a hospital or a clinic. What is their obligation? Meaning, based on halacha, really they should be exempt. He says, Who asked them to become a doctor or nurse? No one told uh, you to go to medical school. Yes. Right? So he, it's your, you made a choice. It was your choice you made in your life. Uh, your okay. <laughs> he says, they entered this profession, and this is what you were saying, someone was saying before. They entered this profession knowing there's contagious disease. That's what disease is. Many diseases are contagious. Um, they are obligated when they signed up for this job, when they entered this profession. That's what they signed up for. Whether it's a, a, a patient who is danger to his life, or even a, some risk to, to life. Also those who have contagious diseases. And even if they have uh, just a small risk involved. His committee, he says, um, and uh, he went to these great rabbis in Israel, they agreed with me, mentions the names. Hosef Shemi Sarvul Tapabo, he says, and if these, so they, and they, he said they added, Rabbi Norbert um, added, he says, that if these physicians try to wiggle out of it, and they say, listen, it's a risk, to, and therefore I can't treat this patient, they violate the law of Lotam and they're in violation of this prohibition. But if it's a great danger, real uh, great danger, then if in the case where there's literally a good chance of you catching the disease, it's not just like you, someone mentioned before, general danger, but it's, there's a specific danger um, where you could really um, catch it and die. He can still voluntarily go and do it. That answers your question about roads or... Um, so that's that's yeah, what he's saying. Holds. What? About holds. About hold, holds. Yeah, so, so he's saying, that if you signed up for this profession, that's what you mentioned before, and you think you mentioned, so that's what you signed up for. You know what you're getting into, and therefore you, mm. you again, I'm, I don't understand it, I'm just saying myself, in the sense of, just because I signed up, say I signed up to, to jump off the Empire State Building, does that mean I'm allowed to do it now? Meaning, so I'm not sure halachically how, and that's why I want to get to it next. Also, I don't know if it's ever been discussed in medical education. I don't remember ever having this discussion in medical school. Does anybody remember having this discussion? I mean, I don't remember thinking about it. Yeah, right. I don't remember thinking about it. It was also before um, in the eighties. So much before the AIDS epidemic. In the eighties, when you had the AIDS epidemic, I think the word doctors were complaining about it at that time. The corollary is if the doctor doesn't jump in, somebody else less trained will jump in, and you're putting him. Yeah, okay, but doesn't mean I. I have to risk my life because of that anyway. So Yossi, here's Again. a thought question. Uh, a fireman is going to rescue someone in a fire. It turns out it's a serial arsonist who set the fire.
You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom. Thank you.